Rubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección once again, Peter Galindo here in Toronto. Uh, Christopher, over there in the beautiful state of Utah, how are you doing? That is right. First of all, happy Canada Day to you, Peter. I know that this Sunday was Canada Day, and yesterday was the 4th of July for us. Even if if we are Peruvians, we're still part of the Peruvian diaspora all over the world, and the, that's why I'm wearing my American tie today. But yes, doing doing lovely over here in Utah, as usual. I actually did not notice that tie. It's very, uh, very snazzy. Appreciate appreciate the uh, the keen fashion sense over here, uh, which I do not have. I'm wearing an Elvis Presley shirt, so uh, you can just see the difference in in uh, in class between Christopher and I here. Maybe he should be the host. He's dressed for it. Hello, but anyways, uh, let's get right into this because, of course, Peru's World Cup campaign, Christopher, ended on June the 26th after a two nothing win over Australia. Lots to get into, but I guess before we maybe dive into specific details, why don't we give our general thoughts on how we think Peru did? And I think the best way to do that is by maybe giving a letter grade. So if you were to grade Peru's performance with every intangible included, what would you give them and why? Oh, that is a tough question, but that is a good way to put it, honestly. Uh, I think... I think I would give Peru a B minus, okay? Because I think that a B minus is a decent grade. It's not a C, it's not a D, right? Which can be seen as almost failing, but most certainly it's not an A, not even a not even a solid B. You know, I think we, we expected a little bit more. I think we were really close. We worked hard, but we didn't have a perfect mastery of the material because it was unknown ground to us. After after 36 years, we had high hopes, high expectations, but it can really it can really take a toll on you. I mean, obviously it's like leaving school and coming back, you know, uh, you know, later in life after you've already worked, you know, a few jobs and you kind of decide to undust the old books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I want to give it a B minus. I think that Peru uh, represented as well. Right. I'm, I'm pretty sure we finished 20th or 21st overall out of 32, which is not bad at all. But of course, the nerves played against us and and, you know, history played against us a little bit. And that 36 year old bag kind of weighed a little too much. Um, so, no, I'm not I'm not too. I still a passing grade, but it's you know, it's it's fairly average. It's fairly average to me. What about you? Yeah, I think before I get into mine, because there are a couple of things maybe to to talk about mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, I think for me, not having a fully fit Paolo Guerrero really hurt this mm-hmm. team, I think more than anything. Yes, we can talk about maybe the defensive structure in some of those games, but how much do you think possibly that Paolo's lack of match fitness played a part in, in Peru's struggle, specifically up front, because, of course, they couldn't get a goal until they faced Australia. No, I mean, I think I think it's relevant. I think that, it, unfortunately, it was a big deal. I think that if we had seen the Paolo that we had been seeing uh, back in back in October, back uh, shortly after he played against Argentina, I think it would have been a different story. I mean... It's cost like Paolo in bad shape. Paolo not being able to play has cost Peru maybe it's qualifying into the round of 16, and it also cost uh, Flamengo uh, a South American championship. I would say uh, it is unfortunate that you know we had to wait for so long, literally just hours almost, for for a high tribunal to decide that Paolo could play, and. I think we got kind of got our hopes up against Saudi Arabia after he scored those two goals. But let's be honest, Saudi Arabia was probably one of the worst teams in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, uh, unfortunately, it was it was bad. I personally, I I think that having Paulo in a better shape would have been really good for the team. But personally, I agree with most in that. Unfortunately, our everything everything went out of whack. After Cueva missed that penalty, 
I think psychologically that hurt us during that first game, didn't allow us to find the goal. And then that kind of set us off kind of, you know, we started a day in the left foot per se. Right. And that, that kind of set everything else off because yes, I think Paolo could have been a little bit better. He could have improved, especially up front, obviously where he is always needed, but at the same time, there just seemed to be other factors that were also holding us up that weren't just all on Paolo's shoulders per se. Yeah, that's fair. And I think as well, that it was certainly a big talking point. Um, and I mean, how could it not be? The team struggled mm-hmm. to score goals. Yes, the the Cueva penalty, which I think I agree with you there. It was the turning point in the tournament for Peru because let's be honest, they score that goal right before halftime. It completely changes the complexion of that match for both teams. Um, mm-hmm. And listen, Cue- uh, credit Cueva for coming back out in the second half and actually playing very, very well because – as we've seen from him in the past, when he has a bit of a hot-headed moment or a bit of a of a slip-up, let's say, he doesn't always react strongly. So the fact that he did in that game was huge, um, and I think he does deserve credit for that. But in terms of, of my letter grade, before I forget and we mm-hmm. go off on tangents, I would give a slightly lower grade than what you gave, and I give okay. them a plus, just okay. for the reason that I think in most of the games – I'll start with the positives. Most of the games, I think they were in them from start to finish, which is huge. Mm-hmm. They stuck to their style, which is to play a proactive, possession-based, very fluid system. Uh, they never deviated away from that. Some might say that's a negative because maybe you have to shut up shop at certain times. Um, but I think that it was always Gadeca's plan and this coaching staff's plan to go into the tournament playing this way. Now, unfortunate circumstances with Paolo didn't help. The Cueva miss penalty didn't help. Tapia getting concussed was certainly a huge blow. Um, Mm. So there's a lot of variables that went against them in that regard. But I think in some areas of those games, they were a little bit indisciplined. I mean, just look at the use of Poulsen goal for Denmark as being a perfect example. Peru's pushing up. The midfield Mm -hmm. is very high into the final third. Carrillo turns over the ball. And then, of course, Erickson just exploits all that space, passes into Poulsen, and ends up scoring the decisive goal. So on top of that, all the missed chances, um, the fact that against France, they were maybe a little bit disorganized structurally in the defense in those final 15 minutes of that game. I don't think mm-hmm. that really helped them at all. Um, but other than that, they controlled the game against France. They just could not get a quality shot on target outside of that one shot from Paolo, which was saved by Yori. Um, and that was their ultimate undoing in the end. So for mm-hmm. that reason, I would give them a C plus just because I think all of us maybe had slightly higher expectations and Gareca mm-hmm. alluded to this in his press conference the other day. They had hopes of making it in, into the knockout stage. They legitimately could have. And in the end they didn't. Um, so I guess with that, that's why I give them a C plus. Is there anything you would maybe want to add to that on, on what I said or? I mean, I, I think we need to be honest. I think that, in a way, two-thirds of the plan went as expected, right? Because we knew that France was a strong team. I think we had a really good game against France, but from from the draw in, in December, we knew that France was, you know, it's still one of the favorites to win the tournament, right? And so within our our mathematical calculations per se. We knew that that was a game that we were going to try to fight. We were going to try to uh, play him hard, but that if we lost, it wasn't going to be that big of a deal because logic dictated that we sh- we would have an, an, you know, an easy time against Australia. And so therefore Denmark was our rival to beat. Denmark was uh, really who we were contending that second spot against. And if you really think about the other two games that Denmark had too, I mean, a 0-0 tie probably the against France, probably the most boring game during this whole <laughs> World Cup, honestly, honestly. Yeah. Really, really just like, I don't know, friendly, felt like, um, like a bunch of older men playing a friendly, you know, not really, not really trying too hard at all. Uh, and then uh, a one-to-one against Australia, an Australian team that for many moments during the game, I felt like 
should have like deserved to win almost. I think that Australia yeah. could have overtaken Denmark. Yeah. Uh, and I mean that. I mean, I kind of hope that. Obviously, I mean that would have been great. But if you think about it, you know, if Peru had tied one to one with Denmark, and then Denmark had tied the other two games, we would be we would have been through, right? And then considering that side of the bracket and the way that way that things have lined up on that side, mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe we could have even had an even better campaign uh, yeah. in the World Cup. But but that's that's just how it is, you know. I. I I'm going to bring some personal experience here. You know, after we lose the game against Denmark, my mother's like, it's okay. The tournament just started. This World Cup's just beginning. You know, Peru has plenty of chances. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, those are all cute words to say, but we know that realistically, <laughs> this is a short tournament. The World Cup's a short tournament. This is not the, this is not, you know, 18 match days that you have to qualify. This is three games. And you need you need to do well in at least two of those games, or you're not you're not gonna make it. Uh, so so yeah yeah I mean I I think those would be some some comments that I would like to add to to what you just said. Okay, fair enough. Um, before I do move on to another topic, I do want to point out that Brian Birdie is in the chat right now, <laughs> and he is giving you a lot of grief for your uh, Carrillo takes pre-tournament. Um, he was saying, what grade do you give Carrillo Viz? Um, and uh, I believe, yes, it is Mr. Raul in the chat saying Carrillo gets an 8 out of 10. His scoring deficiencies were a big problem for the team. And then Brian responds to Raul saying, I think Viz would agree. Um, believe me, we're going to get to Carrillo very shortly. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, but before we do, I want to bring up, because I mentioned Paolo and how maybe his lack of fitness hurt the team. Do you think as well there's an argument to be made that Renato Tapia's injury, both before the tournament, because remember in that friendly, mm-hmm. um, he picked up that knock, I believe it was to his hamstring, and he looked a little bit hampered by that even mm-hmm. when the tournament started, uh, coupled with a concussion. Do you think that his absence in a lot of ways hurt Peru in all three games, but also specifically in the France game? Because it never looked like to me – that Pedro Aquino and Yoshimar Yotun really gelled together for obvious reasons because they hadn't really played much together, but they're also both very similar players and that they like to distribute from deep and having both mm-hmm. of those guys together maybe isn't the best fit. So do you think that Tapia's absence in that France game and just his general maybe injury issues hurt Peru the most, even more so than Paolo? I So... If, if we're going to go into like individualities and things that just were a little bit off for Peru, I think, first of all, we already mentioned Paolo. We're, we're mentioning right now Tapia. And to me personally, I think another issue was also Trauco at back. Mm-hmm. Trauco was not the kind of player that we were used to seeing. I think the lack of uh, minutes with his club really hurt him a lot. Uh, but not, I mean, that, that's kind of a, another topic. But going back to, to Tapia, I think that Gareca. We know that Gareca has a starting 11 that he sticks to, right? Mm-hmm. But in this specific case, it would have been nice to see Aquino play more time uh, in the in the friendlies that we played before before the tournament. I think um, I think Aquino, if he had had a little bit more playing time, if he had had more time to kind of talk with your tune and get accustomed to that kind of game, if they had been able to, like you say, you know, kind of consolidate their game a little bit more, then I think it would have been better. I mean, it it really bothered me the last few matches that Tapia seems, seemed to hit, what, like 65 minutes, and he was he was doing timeout, timeout, you know? And I, you know, and I, I heard some members of the press say, you know, good for him. He knows, he knows what his limitations are and he knows when he needs to step out of the field. It's like, well, if you're, if you're part of the starting 11, you're expected to play all 90, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, it's like that if the, the three, the three substitutions that a coach gets are, are supposed to be tactical mm-hmm. or, or, or an emergency, which right. emergencies do happen, but they're they're mostly supposed to be tactical. After, especially you know, like I want to say, like after the first half, after you've seen your opponent play, you have those three chances of switching the the phone number, right? Phone mm-hmm. number around, 
to be able to to accomplish a result, whether that is, you know, to maintain, you know, your goal at zero or to score because you're tying or you're losing, whatever. It, it should not be because, you know, like one of your players is just – He's just tired. He's, you know, he's half injured. He hasn't recovered all the way, and he's calling for a timeout. Uh, I, I'm not saying. I mean, I, I, I like the way Tapia plays. I think Tapia's a great player, but I think that maybe, maybe Aquino, um, you know, maybe some other kind of strategy starting in the back uh, would have would have been beneficial to Peru because we know that the because of the style that Peru plays, those plays are that that. Those two guys in the middle are very important on how the rest of the game is distributed up top. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I wish that Aquino had gotten more playing time, and I think it could have made a difference. Uh, I think it could have really boosted his confidence, too. I think he – I mean, regardless, I think Aquino had a had a really good game. I mean, yeah. holy cow, it was France, and, you know, it's like – and this kid wasn't afraid of them. Uh, he, you could see. I mean, I feel like you could almost see it in his face. He, you know, it was a hard opponent, but he wasn't afraid of, of playing against them for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that, like, like I said before, you know, first of all, Paulo uh, going to Tapia, and then and then Trauco were probably our, our three things. And Carrillo's lack of scoring. Well, we can we can talk about that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have some thoughts on that, and I do as well. Uh, fair enough. So. Yeah, I mean, on the Aquino stuff, before maybe we go on to a couple of the questions, mm-hmm. I think you brought up a great point in that I, I think it's such a delicate balance. And I think Gareca himself, and I'm pretty sure he said this in the press conference too the other day, he learned some valuable lessons, and so did the team. Um, and I think one of those might be, how could I have maybe given more of my reserves or backups Mm-hmm. more time to you know acclimatize to the surroundings because in a match where you're going up against arguably one of the favorites for the world mm-hmm. cup and when they're so clearly honed in on what you do because you notice that when peru was trying to build up from the back and maybe this contributed slightly to both Yotun's issues and trauco's issues and to a slight degree uh, rodriguez's issues as well they were pressing them from the goal, like as soon as Gaese would take a goal kick, there was Mbappe, there was Giroud, there was mm-hmm. a, um, a Matuidi right there on Advincula or Trauco or somebody. And that usually led to rush passes and turnovers. And that's how France got in. As soon as those last 15 minutes began in the first half, you kind of saw that France kind of realized, well, let's try to try to push them more because they're a team that's going to try and try to pass their way through here. Um, right. So I think that's a great point to bring up in that, you know, having – a player who's maybe not as familiar with it as Renato Tapia maybe was a little bit of an issue. Um, So let's get into one of the questions because I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, Chris. Um, Luis Aguayo at El Aguayo 98 asked, do you think France or Australia first would have had different results for Peru in hindsight or what order of matches would have been ideal? Um, what do you think about this? What, what do you think would have been the, the 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 better order for Peru if you could go back and change it? Well, I think in an alternate universe, I think um, I think doing the exact opposite of what we did would have probably been more beneficial. Yeah. Right. Um, obviously, Australia first, uh, especially because we came into the tournament with you know the whole fifteen games uh, undefeated, and Australia is you know. Uh, uh, you know, it's an it's an okay it's an okay team. You know, it's a uh, someone that we know that we can we we can defeat. I mean, they're not New Zealand, but um, they're just a little bit above that. Maybe uh, I think getting a, a victory against them would have been really important. Started with three points, then you know keep France in the middle. Um, France, uh, it's really the kind of like. You know, we'll see what happens with them. We want we're going to play hard. Obviously, we're not going to go into the field with losing mentality, but we're going to play hard, and we're going to we're going to hope you know for for a good result. Kind of uh, the whole Argentina Argentina at Bombonera kind of situation. You know, it's like we don't know if we're going to win, but we can we can probably do something good. And then finishing that decisive match um, against against Denmark, right? I mean, to have it at the end would have been a lot better. Um, 
than to have it at the beginning. Um, but I mean, you know, we we can talk about what ifs all day, but obviously things are the way they are. Yeah, pretty much agreed with that. I don't think there's really much of an argument because look, as good as Australia played in all three of their games, it must be said that you could argue they were the better team in all three games. But I think in terms of a first match, that would have been the ideal matchup for Peru just because I think they go into that with a little more confidence knowing that we are better than this team on paper. Um, if we play our style, we can get past them. And as we saw in that match, their counterattacks were lethal. And that was probably the only time they actually had mm -hmm. quality counterattacks in the entire tournament. Um, and in fact, their lowest number of expected goals actually came in that game and yet they scored twice. So they were expected to score like fewer goals than the Denmark game and the France game. And yet they scored twice. So that just kind of goes to show you how crazy um, the potential output of goals fluctuates in such a small sample size. Um, so with that, let's move on to some of our standouts, standout individuals. Um, one of them was probably mentioned in the chat. Um, so with that, Christopher, um, I guess we could probably talk about Andre Carrillo because he broke the drought for Peruvian World Cup goal scorers after 36 years. Uh, what a goal it was, too. Yeah. And you could also argue he was maybe the best player of, of the tournament. I would personally say Luis Advincula, but uh, just your thoughts on Carrillo's performance and then maybe one or two of your other standouts. Carrillo, Carrillo, Carrillo. I think that he could have... He could score more. I always think that Carrillo can score more, but but honestly, I think he gave it his all. I think he was a great player. Uh, that's good for for his future here. Hopefully, he stays in England too. Um, I think he's yeah. He I mean, out of all the players in Peru, I think Carrillo stood out more to not only to Peruvians but also to the to the international uh, community as uh, someone with a lot of talent uh, that hopefully, you know, I mean, he's, he's still fairly young. I mean, he still has a few years that so hopefully he can consolidate even more. I think that I, especially last year, I complained about Carrillo a lot, but little by little, I'm actually changing my mind after, after seeing the goal that he scores, who is it? Uh, Saudi Arabia, right? That first goal where he brings it down yeah. in his chest and he just yeah, that's right. left, left, puts it right right in. I mean, beautiful goal. I mean, the, the fact that he scored such a story goal and such a beautiful goal, too, just against yeah. Australia. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I think he's getting better at scoring. Let's be honest. I think he's starting to slowly, uh, unfortunately not fast enough, but, you know, starting to to get better in that and to develop that side of his play. Um yeah, I think Carrillo had a good tournament, and I and I don't see him, you know, like uh, really. I, I don't see anyone else in Peru really uh, surpassing him uh, in his in his position for now. So I think he's a, the best that we've got, and I think his future looks bright. Uh, he had he had some good games during the World Cup, um, but you know we we can say that oh well he didn't score enough. But then again, technically it wasn't his job. Right. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't there to score the goals. That's that's what we, we were supposed to have Farfan and, and Paolo for. So the fact that he still pulled through and he was able to score that first goal, uh, I think, you know, he he his his expectations uh, for me, his expectations were met. Fair enough. Um, and a couple of comments in the chat on that. Um, first of all. Jesse R saying that Carrillo showed what he is capable of in terms of club football really doesn't deserve to go back to Portugal. Um, those are the rumors. Apparently Benfica might consider bringing him back because mm -hmm. contract negotiations with Eduardo Salvio are not going well. He has one year left on his deal. So maybe out of spite, they might bring back Carrillo uh, and give him an expanded role. Um, he also mentioned, I think Peru lacked that key player running the number 10 role. Take nothing away from Cueva, who bounced back from the missed penalty, but we lack a player who can cut those all-important forward passes. And on that point, um, I was maybe wanting to bring it up later on when we were talking maybe about Gareca and just rating his overall performance. Um, there is a site which focuses a lot on like detailed stats and analysis. It's called Impact. And it's based in Germany. 
and they calculated um, basically the teams who were bypassed the most by an opposition pass. Uh, so basically, if a pass went through a defender, that counts as a bypassed pass, essentially. Um, and in terms of the attack, Peru only averaged 31 bypass defenders per game. And just as a comparison, the teams that are like basically just below them are Morocco, Costa Rica, Panama, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, Argentina, which I don't think is much of a surprise, uh, and Egypt. So... As an example, the top team is Belgium with 56 per game, Peru at 31 per game, um, and they were and their defenders, Peru's defenders, were bypassed an average of 40 times, which is on the lower side. But I think that point about maybe the number 10, maybe not being as impactful, Cueva being as impactful from start to finish, certainly had an impact. But I think a lot of players also struggled too. Um, before we get to that, though, were there any other standouts for you? Uh, at the World Cup for you, Christopher? Well, I think you already mentioned at Vincula. I think that um, that uh, Galesi also had a pretty decent tournament. Uh, I mean, um, I mean, what? He, he let in two goals. You know, that, that was it. I mean, really, I mean, I think obviously it's a, it's a team sport, right? I mean, the whole the whole team contributed to the to to the fact that we, we didn't really get scored on that much. But the, I mean, he, he had some pretty pretty close saves, but he, he came he came through almost he pulled through almost no matter what they they threw at him. So I think that's good for him. I'm hoping that that will help him uh, move to maybe out of Mexico or to even to a an even better club. Uh, in Europe, maybe, or something like that. I think he had a pretty decent uh, tournament. Uh, I think, mm, oh, no, I, th I think also maybe Santa Maria had a good tournament coming in there, just out in the middle of nowhere, basically right after um, right after Rodriguez gets injured. Uh, I think he came in and he, he you know, kind of last minute, and he did it well. Uh and so I think he, he has a promising future as, as you know, part of that, those, uh, the Peruvian defense for the next few years. 100%. Um, I would probably agree with you on that. I throw in Aquino possibly as well. I think he did, despite the problems we mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. I still think that when he was on the pitch, he did not look out of place at all <laughs> against a world-class team in France. And I think that says a lot. And I'm sure that Leon, who signed him just before the World Cup, are very happy that deal went through before the tournament started. Otherwise, mm. I'm sure that uh, Monterrey would actually be asking for a lot more money from him. Um, he, he's going to be a boss in the future, I'm sure, Pedro Aquino, if he can get time, because, of course, Tapia being his exact age, uh, there's going to be a bit of a battle there in the future. But it's good to have competition. Mm. Um, another point on Carrillo, which I forgot to mention, too, he was by far and away the player who led Peru in, in dribbles. Um, I believe it was something like 10 per game, something outs like ridiculous. Um, oh, sorry, 10, 10 in total, but three per game. As a comparison, Cueva and Hurtado were second on that list with an average of one dribble completed per game. Uh, everybody else was below that. So kind of goes to show you just how much trouble Peru maybe had getting past the opposition and into the box. Uh, but Carrillo was was tremendous uh, at that. And so was at Vincula as well to some monster at the back um so before we get into the maybe the disappointments let's say the individual disappointments mm -hmm. luisa wyo asked us a question on this particular subject and he asked uh i'm curious to hear your opinions on who in the squad did not perform as well compared to qualifying i thought edison flores was very nervous and could not connect alberto rodriguez was also quote-unquote soft in my opinion. Um, would you agree with that, Chris? And if so, or if not, is there anybody else that would make the cut for you? No, I, I think for me, number one, the one that the player that kind of worried me the most slash disappointed me the most was uh, Trauco, uh, who for months we talked about how we, we didn't really have a, a solid replacement for him compared to almost uh, all the other positions in the field. We can, we can always, you know, like think of, who their natural uh, substitute would be. I think for Trauco, 
he, you know, there is, there is somewhere, you know, like you said, competition is healthy. I think that the competition between Advincula and Corso has been healthy for both of them, has been good for both of them to push him to kind of, you know, uh, be their, their best version of themselves. I think obviously uh, Advincula has come out on top on that, on that, um, uh, even though Corso is always uh, a good option also. But I think that maybe Trauco just felt a little too comfortable in his position, you know, not yeah. competition, uh, nobody else. And then also the lack of minutes in his club. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, I, I think that was, a, I think that was a, the biggest problem. And, but I mean, at the same time, you can't blame him, you know, I mean, you, you never know. Like we said, you know, like what if you move clubs, right? You know, just six months before the World Cup and then things turn out to be worse. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think we, we need to start looking for another option to Trauco, not because I don't think Trauco is not, I think he's an excellent player. I think he's a great player, but some healthy competition would, would, would help in his position. Uh, that's, that's kind of my, my most disappointing player in the field. Other than that, I, well, who else, who else did you mention? Who else did our... Uh, so Rodriguez and Flores uh, as well. Flores, uh, Flores. That's just that's just uh, pure Flores. Flores is always <laughs> like that. Honestly, to be honest with you, I mean, he what what is it? I think the Uruguay game, uh, maybe even the Argentina at home game. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those times, it was obvious that Flores was the you know kind of a little bit of a weak link uh, in the field. And yet, because he scores so many goals and he's not afraid of just, you know, it's like, I wouldn't shoot the ball and we're going to try. Yeah. And, you know, it works that we we find him as a valuable player. Uh, we, we start, we, we, we've grown fond of Flores, right. right? But in reality, yeah, that's just kind of how he is. It's He's a little, he's a little bit shaky. He's always been a little bit shaky, but... He just gives you enough of a of a wild card that you don't know where he's gonna come in and really turn things around for you. And so because of that, Gareca keeps him in the squad. And also because like, come on, like he's he's super popular in Peru. I mean, like just right after Paolo, maybe Farfan, like honestly, people absolutely identified and with Flores and just absolutely love Flores, you know. Yeah. I mean most Peruvians have big ears, I guess. So <laughs> you know, I think, and on that subject, it's interesting you brought that up because I think, look, I'm not in a position to say this because I'm Canadian born to uh, a Peruvian immigrant. So I never really, you know, experienced this, but I think one of the reasons why this national team is so loved is because they're humble and they come from humble backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. Big Flores, for example, grew up in Comas, um, had a hard life growing up, but broke through with Universitario, went to Spain, kind of got homesick. Uh, came back to Lau, did well. Gareca kind of built up his confidence, and now he is the player who he is today. Now, I think that he was overawed by the occasion a little bit. Uh, probably mm -hmm. the only player I would say who was clearly nervous on the big stage, mm -hmm. um, and that's totally fine, right? Because when you think about it, over the last two years, his career has skyrocketed. Like right. I'm sure, and I'm you know Brian would say this. Um, I'm sure. Uh, People who followed him at Universitario would say this as well. If you had told people two or three years ago that Edison Flores would have five goals in World Cup qualifying for Peru mm -hmm. and would lead them to the World Cup, that entire statement alone would have people checking you into a mental facility. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so the fact that he is in this position, I think, is, is huge. But with that being said, I think his purple patch in 2017 where he got the five goals, and I guess late mm -hmm. 2016 as well, where he got the five goals, I think really blew up his expectations. I think like most wingers, and you're, you see this with Carrillo too, they're going to be very up and down, right? And especially mm -hmm. for a player who's still somewhat inexperienced. Um, and again, another great point brought up, I believe it was by, I believe it was by Jesse or Raul, one of them. They basically, ah, it was Jesse. He said, I really think Flores needs to get used to switching to the central attacking midfield role that he plays with Alborg. Uh, and then left wing with Peru. I don't want to play in the number 10, mostly because I think Benavente would suit that role at mm. Nueva, and I think that's a good point, because what if there was a Christian Benavente in the squad, maybe picking apart those opposing defenses, maybe there'd be more uh, bypass defenders. 
Um, and then lastly on Trauco, Christopher, which is interesting, entering the third game, that stat I mentioned about bypassed opponents and defenders mm -hmm. and all that, guess who was the third most bypassed opponent at the World Cup? It was no. Trauco. Uh, the only players who were above him in that category were Jerome Boateng, Tony Kroos, and Sergio Ramos. Uh, Miguel Trauco, an average of 68 passes per game, bypassed him, which Oof. is not a very good stat. Right. Right. Now, that's only after two games. And after the third game, he actually dropped out of the top five, which is a, a mm -hmm. good sign. Um, but I think it's so interesting with him because he's 25, 26 years old, going to be soon. Um, he's linked to Bordeaux. I think the move <laughs> might suit him. But at the same time, if you look at him over the past year, Attack-wise, he's been perfectly fine. I think his vision's still there. There's no worries in that regard. But when you look at him defensively, the more I watch him, the more positionally indisciplined he becomes, the more he gets caught out, and he's not closing down as many defenders, um, which is strange because in 2017 with Flamengo or Peru, very consistent on both sides of the pitch. Now, not so much. So... I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just a, a bad patch he's going through. Maybe this is really who he is. Or maybe he needs that move out of Flamengo to really rekindle his career. What do you think? No, no, no. He, he needs that move. He needs that move. But I, I, I agree with you that for some reason he kept trying to be more offensive than defensive when we know that those guys, the back four, their first job has to be to defend. And then a lot of the times they can provide that extra spark to the team offensively, but first and foremost, they should be solid defenders. That's, that's why they're the defenders. That's why they're the right. back four, right? They're supposed to work together, you know, moving up and down the field, all four of them, right? Very much a clockwork orange style, you know, famous in the, in the eighties. Um, and so, yeah, I, but you know, you, you say that he's, he's been focusing on, on offense more, not, you know, he's been doing not so well on defense, but even on offense, I think that that synergy between him and Paolo was was lost a little bit too. Yeah. You know, he, he, even during the friendlies, he was, you know, so precise at being able to feed Paolo those long balls from, you know, like 30, 45 yards out and just land it right at Paolo's feet, just, just in such a nice way. And I feel like I, I didn't see any of that, or I don't recall seeing any of that during the World Cup. And if anything, I would say that's, you know, kind of one of his signature moves. You know, yeah. so it's like if you're going to be sucky def defensively, at least be good at off offense. And obviously he, he didn't really he didn't really show much at offense either. So, yeah. I, no, I, I think he's lacking both ways. I think, he's you know, he's like he's probably saying something along the lines of, you know, I'm not doing very well defensively, but I can, you know, I can – uh, you know, just kind of focus on offense and maybe that will compensate or something. I, I think he's a little bit out of whack. And I, again, I'm going to go back and blame it on the lack of minutes. Um, but I think a move for him would be really good. And yeah, I don't think his career is over. I know. I, I don't think, you know, I, I think he still has a lot of potential, a lot of raw talent that uh, he can explode in years to come. I agree. Um, and Brian in the chat br makes his opinion known. He thinks that Trauco was good defensively versus France. I think to a degree, yes. He wasn't helped by Flores turning over the ball a lot, by Yotun clearly not looking comfortable with Aquino you know, so far apart from him. And I mentioned this in my piece on the website. Tapia and Yotun tend to be positioned very close together, which provides mm -hmm. solidity to that defense and allows them to build up from the back effectively. If you look at the average positioning from that France game, Aquino and, and Tapia, or sorry, Aquino and Yotun were very far apart from each other. And they were almost like sticking to, to one flank or the other, Yotun to the mm -hmm. left, Aquino to the right. And I think that made the press from France easier to, to execute. And as a result, I think everybody struggled. So it wasn't just Tapia, it wasn't just, or sorry, it wasn't just Trauco, it wasn't just Yotun, whoever. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it was kind of a, a symptom of, of just everybody kind of struggling a little bit. So worth noting. So let's get into 
Ricardo Gareca a little bit. We're not going to talk about his future and the future of the national team because uh, we're going to do that next week, maybe once Gareca potentially makes his opinion known or his, his future yeah. known. Um, but for now, <laughs> in terms of what you saw from him and the coaching staff of the World Cup, what did you like and what didn't you like? I think that last time we did the podcast, you gave a very passionate defense on why it was not a good idea to have Paolo from the beginning. After three games, I'm going to come back and I'm going to insist. We need a Paolo from, from the first minute, even though it wasn't a Paolo that was at his full capacity, that it wasn't at his tip-top game. I think that that could have made a huge difference. And I still agree with you that obviously you don't want to injure Paolo the first game. You don't want to stress him out. You want to save him for the next two games. Uh, but, I mean, can you imagine maybe Paolo doing the first, like, 50 or 60 minutes and then having for fun at the end? Yeah. Just kind of the opposite of what happened. I think it would have made a difference. I I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say – Mistakes. Uh, I don't know. I, I think, I think that's unfortunately like a gamble that he took, um, and and unfortunately he he lost it. Um, and I think that would have been uh, ideal. That would have really thing made things uh, different for Peru uh, during the tournament. Another another thing that, that like you mentioned just a few minutes ago is the idea that you know the 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 B team per se right the 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 natural uh, substitutes to each one of our starting eleven uh, could have and should have seen a few more minutes and trying to get them to you know to have that healthy competition uh, with with their counterparts and you know be be a little bit more ready to come in when necessary I think. But at the same time, that is so hard to gauge too. You know, it's not like it's not like oh well, I'm just gonna throw all eleven, you know, bench warmers in, and and they're gonna have a fine game. I think fine tuning those relationships that are key um, with not only between the the main players, but also between the some of the substitutes and the main players could mm-hmm. could have helped Peru have more options uh, when when it came down to that. Uh, and so, if anything, I, I think those are maybe the two things that I, I have to complain about uh, regarding Gareca. Other than that, I mean, you know, he's he's a stud. You know, he's he's a great guy. You know, like other than that, I, I well, we'll talk about his. I, I won't go into the whole future thing, but yeah, but you know, I, I do hope he stays, and I do hope that you know things things get better for Peru. Yeah, to round it up, uh, hashtag Gareca Sequeda. Let's just say um, we we should get that trending maybe uh, next week sometime. In in terms of what you said, look, I understand why he decided to rest Paolo because I'm sure he was monitoring his fitness very closely and didn't want to take a risk. And I think this is why I think coaches are always in such a bad position because you mentioned it there. He took a gamble and lost. And in a lot of ways, coaches always gamble when they make their team selections or when they line up their team in a certain way or when they make an in-game adjustment. And that is why I don't think we can really rip Gareca for what he did because, you know, and there is a, a saying in Spanish, you know, he he used his huevos, right? I mean, he went with his huevos – and you know, I, I can't say it in English because I'm let's, afraid let's we'll be censored be, by YouTube. Let, let's you know, let's uh, do the PG version. He he went with his gut feeling. Yes. You know, he, yes. He took he, he took some courage. Yeah. Let's okay. Yeah. Let's let's go with that instead then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for that reason, he can't really be slated all that much for the decisions he made, like. Aquino was always going to be the primary backup, even though someone in that Cartagena or Tapia mold would have been the better option with Yotun. You understand why he goes with Aquino because Cartagena is not really familiar with the team. He's not familiar really with the squad because he was recently called up like a year ago, I think for the first time. Um, So he doesn't have that camaraderie with the rest of the squad. So you can see why Aquino played but when you watch them together, you could just see it was all disjointed. Um, 
and again, the Paolo fitness, managing that, I do kind of, now that you've mentioned it, Christopher, I do kind of see the the argument for, well, you could have played him for 60 minutes um, because he went, what was it, 65, 70 in the, in the Saudi Arabia match? Yeah. And then yeah. he went 90 against Sweden. So he mm-hmm. probably could have gone 60 against Denmark and would have been okay. There wouldn't have been any problems with injury. Um, and I'm sure maybe if Gadeka, looking back on that, could have changed one decision, that maybe would have been it. Because when Paolo came in, got that reference point up front immediately and we're creating so many more chances. And if you were to have simulated that game 10 times, Peru mm-hmm. probably wins nine of them. And that was yeah. the one that they didn't, unfortunately, yeah. win. Um, and ended up losing it, of course. So... Again, it's and, and I hate to use this, but thin margins, right? Especially mm-hmm. at a World Cup. Um, so I don't think there's anything I would really criticize Gadeka for. I did kind of bring those things up. Um, in terms of what he did well, look, we again, we kind of criticized him for maybe not integrating other players into the 11. Mm-hmm. But I think when you have such a, a short amount of time together, you need to establish that chemistry game by game, right? And you can see why he did it. But as some people are saying in the chat, maybe a couple of those players not being properly challenged for their places, like Trauco, for example. Nilsson Loyola was really his backup. And let's be honest, Loyola has been a disaster on the big stage in the Copa Libertadores. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and when he's played for Peru too, he played in a couple of qualifiers and looked very much out of place. So, and maybe Luis Abram makes that spot his own in the 2022 cycle because he can play at left back uh, or at least make his own as a, as a backup left back because we all know Anderson Santa Maria is going to be next in line for that left center back role oh, when, sure. the, when the 2022 cycle begins. So, you know, again, it's, I'm, I'm sure Gareca learned valuable lessons as did the rest of the team. And if he stays or if there's a new coach that comes in, I'm sure those players at the very least will know what to expect if they get to a world cup again and maybe they'll do some things differently the next time around. Plus there won't be that pressure of, you know, the 36 year weight is finally lifted and, right. and, you know, th- this is the the group of heroes that we've all been waiting for, because I'm sure even though they weren't necessarily showing it, I'm sure a lot of those players felt immense pressure, especially with, you know, 40,000 Peruvians traveling to the, to, to the World Cup and obviously millions around the world watching them on TV and being so excited. Um, you know, it, these are all factors, right? And I, I think that Eka prepared them well for the situation. I mean, let's be honest. None of these players are very well known on the right. big stage. Jefferson Farfan and Paolo Guerrero aside, nobody else nobody had really knows. a clue about right. anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that... If you want to give any closing thoughts on anything you didn't mention, you may, and then maybe I'll throw in a tidbit or two. Okay. Well, uh, I think first of all, um, out of the teams that were eliminated in the first stage, other than Peru, I want to say maybe maybe Morocco, mm-hmm. or you know, really fought that hard, played that well. Uh, yeah, I mean, like honestly. I, I feel like in this World Cup, you either kind of did well, you know, like scraped by or just like completely failed. You know, I, I think Paul, Poland and Germany, examples of teams just completely crashed and burned, uh, in my opinion. And so the fact that, you know, Peru, um, Peru was, I mean, we, we had issues, but we weren't, we weren't a mess. You know, we weren't just like Argentina, just trying to hold on to the for dear life, you know. Um, so I, I think overall still Peru, Peru, you know, those guys represented Peru well. Um, yeah, I think that we need to start thinking of, of more things, you know, more things to come. We have the world cup, I mean, the Copa America next year right. and then the next qualifying cycle. And I'm sure that we're going to talk about this in the next podcast, but you know, what should our goals be? What, what should we have in mind? Uh, you also, this there's that uh, group of uh, uh, the what was it the U20s or U18s that went to right U20s yeah U20s okay well and especially with U20s that went to Russia with the main squad I you know we have the World Cup coming up 
for the qualifiers in this next January for those yeah. U20s. And there's also a chance of qualifying for, for the Olympics, which is hard because there's only yes. two slots, right? Yeah. But hey, yeah. you know, I mean, the, the, I mean, there's there's all, all these chances that are being created. Us hosting the World Cup, we're going to have the U17s also playing. I think there's a lot of things happening. And, you know, the goal was always, to, from the beginning, the goal was to make it to the 2022 World Cup. Right. So the fact that we made it to this one is great, but let's see this as a starting point for many more things to come in the next five or ten years instead of just the end goal. Yeah, and Gaika said as much in his press conference too that this should be a catalyst for the future and that this shouldn't just be a, you know, a, a, a spark and nothing more. It should lead to bigger and better things. And I know that many coaches and many, many pundits – have said this about Peruvian football for decades and decades and decades, but maybe now that they finally made it and they have some semblance of an organization and also belief again, maybe this leads to change. And we're seeing that with Oviedo in, in the FFAF, of course. He's yes. had massive changes. Um, but again, we'll get into that into the next World Cup. On those U-17s, by the way, they played Uruguay today at La Videna. Mm -hmm. They lost 1-0. Uh, mm -hmm. Carlos Ruiz missed a penalty in the, in the 80th. Oh. It was actually saved. Um, Uruguay actually had a penalty early in the second half, scored that. But Peru mm -hmm. actually dominated most of the game, which was a very positive thing to see. And they're playing very similarly, which is which is huge, very similarly to the senior side. They like to keep the ball, play quick one-touch passing. Um, they carved open the Uruguayan defense a little bit, but maybe not enough in the end to get a quality mm -hmm. shot. But again, they're building towards the U-17 World Cup and also the Sudamericano as well. So building blocks, right? And they also beat Uruguay in the first friendly on penalties a couple of days ago too. So not not a terrible yeah, result in the end. Uh, so yeah, lots to look forward to in the future. Uh, so with that, I guess we will end the podcast. Thank you to everybody who listened, watched, and were involved in the chat on YouTube, including Brian Birdie throwing some <laughs> shots at Christopher Viscardo, too afraid to show his face to him and say it to Christopher's face. Uh, but anyways... I digress. So, Christopher, uh, what is your Twitter? And if there's anything else you want to say in closing, you may go ahead. Well, first of all, I am still hashtag never Grioni. Okay, <laughs> just so that Brian knows that. I need to throw that out there while he's not here. Never Grioni, Brian. Never Grioni. We'll talk about it more next week. Also, shout out to my home team, Sport Ancash. They are getting closer to the national stage of the Copa Peru. I can never forget that. I, I always bring them up. I'm sorry. And anyways, <laughs> my Twitter handle is uh, V-I-Z underscore F-C. Never apologize for your allegiances, especially when they're in Copa Peru, the best tournament in the world. Oh, yeah. So with that, uh, you can follow me at Galindo PW. Follow the show and the website at Peru Waltz. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, and SoundCloud. This podcast will be available in audio form, hopefully tomorrow. But of course, if you were listening to it in the audio form, you already have it in your ears. So you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> so for Christopher Viscardo, I'm Peter Galindo. We are signing off. We'll see you guys next week. Chale mi fring y cubillas y el gran pericoleón, bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.